Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. Well, they say week three of the preseason is the dress rehearsal, and if the dress rehearsal is any indication, the show itself might be better than most are anticipating. This is Al Sacco with Zane Nakvi here for the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast, and I thought it was an impressive performance from the starters on both sides of the ball for the most part in week three of the preseason. The offense looks sharp, and I'll tell you what, preseason or not, I, I can't remember the last time the 49ers put back-to-back drives on offense like they did to start this game. And the defense pitched a shutout, in the first half, I mean, Zane, we can't ask for much more than that, right? Yeah, and for the first time, I think, during this preseason, we're seeing what the people see in practice that that are there with the team every day. They see the crispness. They see the execution. They see all of the discipline. You know, they didn't have too many penalties either, the first, well, at least for the first team, on either side of the ball. So I, they're finally they're finally clicking the way that we thought they would, uh, even if it's just for a little bit. But it's nice to see that little window of uh, progression that Kyle Shanahan has has had with this team. And it seems like he opened up the playbook, didn't it? It seems like they, they tried a few more play-action plays than they, than they had in the past, right? Absolutely, absolutely. It was definitely, um, like I said, that dress rehearsal where it seemed like they were finally doing some things that we're going to see during the season. And we're going to break that down. Zane and I, have a lot, you know, we were talking about it um, off the air. We have, we have a lot of thoughts and we have some concerns, too. So we're definitely going to break this game down. And we're also going to talk about the Vance McDonald trade that happened on Tuesday. And we're excited to um, kind of give our thoughts on that. But before we do, we're going to bring our guest on today. And our, our guest is um, former 49ers linebacker Gary Plummer. And anyone who knows how we do the show, you know, Zane and I usually do the intro. And then we bring on our guest. And then, and then Zane and I will do our segment where we react to whatever's going on. And the way we record the show is basically we usually record our guests first. So that's sort of the first thing we do. And then we build the rest of the show around that. So we'll have the guest on and then we'll do an intro and then we'll do, we'll do the second half of the show. That's kind of how we work. So we had Gary on and obviously I'm, I'm very excited because it's, it's Gary Plummer. I mean, I, I grew up watching Plummer play as a kid and, and he was a huge part of the, their championship team in 1994. And I couldn't have been more excited to have him on. And he was a great guy and a great guest. And he, and he gave some really great information, but um, to give some people some background, it was a little bit stressful for me because we usually never have audio problems, right, Zane? I mean, usually we're, we're pretty good with, with, with our setup we have here. So Gary comes on and I could tell my screen didn't look right. And usually when we have a guest come on, we can tell that they've called in, a little pop-up comes in and we can tell that they're there and I'm not seeing it. So I'm talking with Gary and, and, and telling him what to expect on the show. And, and, and I know something's wrong. I know something's not right with 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 our recording system. So I'm like, all right. So, you know, I'm like, I start to show I'm like, all right, we're going to get started. I record and him and I start the interview and I figure out like a minute into it, like this just isn't recording. And I'm like, Oh man, do I really have to tell Gary Plummer like that I'm screwing up right now? <laughs> Nothing. He just had to be recorded. <laughs> so he's going to think we're like a JV operation, you know? So I'm like, this is, this is awful. So I, I just said to him, you know, I said, you know, Gary, I'm so sorry. I don't think this is recording. And, and, and we had to like, um, call, hang out, hang up, and then call back in, and, and he was such a professional about it. He was such a nice guy. You know, no problem. Sure, I'll hang up and call right back in, and he did, and it was a great interview. So, But the whole time we were recording, I'm kind of frazzled, hoping that it was going to record. I didn't know what was going on, but we <laughs> ended up figuring out it was a great interview. So, um, But see, and, and Zane wasn't there, because Zane was actually sick the past couple of days, so he, he wasn't on the interviews. See, Zane, when you're not there, this stuff happens, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, this is this is why we can't have nice things. We're not allowed Just to forget. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was so it was like one of the I was one of the most excited I've been to do an interview because it was you know to talk to Gary Plummer and it was like super stressful for me. So, yeah, I, lo- I love I Gary Plummer. That, it was I mean, great. He was a such a such a great part of the championship. He was a lovely guy. It was. It was great. And I can't wait for it. What do you see? He just talked gushing about Eddie DeBarlo. It was great. And I can't wait for everyone to hear it. And here we go. Our guest tonight had a stellar NFL career that spanned 12 seasons. He was a mainstay in the middle of the 49ers defense from 1994 through 1997 and a huge part of the team's fifth Super Bowl championship. Welcome to the show, Gary Plummer. Gary, thanks for being here. Hey, great to be here. But you forgot about the inauspicious start of three USFL years. So... uh... (laughs) <laughs> those were uh, those are actually a lot of fun. Uh, Steve Young, Reggie White, uh, Jim Kelly, uh, 168 guys came out of that league and uh, uh, have fond memories of that. Yeah, there really were some great players to come out of that league, league and play in the NFL. There really were. But I want to start out with you, Gary, though. You did a recent interview with our friend Taylor Price, and you mentioned that you heard some rumblings that the hire of Kyle Shanahan may have had more to do with Denise DeBartolo York and actually with Jed York. And I wondered if you can give us your thoughts on what you heard might have gone down with that. Well, I mean, clearly, uh, Jed York uh, has, has uh, fumbled in the last few years. And, um, you know, it, it's just so interesting because when... I'll give you a little bit of the history. When, when John York took over the team, you know, I mean, he truly wasn't the owner. Um, it, it was Denise. But... You know, she is a very quiet, private person and didn't want any of the spotlight. She didn't really want the team in the first place, but because of what had happened with Eddie, um, they had to switch assets. So when the York family took over, the guy that was the spokesperson was John York. And John York screwed it up about as bad as you could uh, if you think back to the days of, you know, getting ticked off at coaches for taking water home, bottled water, um, you know, just ridiculous things. So uh, because John uh, couldn't take the heat anymore, um, he threw his son into the fire. Uh, and supposedly Jed was going to be the answer because Jed had grown up watching Uncle Eddie. Well, <laughs> Jed didn't make the decision. Yes, he probably had to make the final decision, but uh, truly it was Trent Balky uh, who had the same agent as uh, Jim Harbaugh. And that they're the ones that got together to, to figure out, okay, he's going to come coach for the 49ers. Jed took 100% of the credit for it. And then when Jim became too hard to deal with, you know, he got rid of him. Uh, let's think about one of the most successful franchises in the NFL right now uh, in the New England Patriots. And we know that guy, uh, the head coach there, had an inauspicious start himself in Cleveland and was a very difficult guy to work with. Um, but you got to credit great ownership, you know, and Robert Kraft in order to put up with it. It wasn't all roses between Eddie DeBartolo uh, and a guy named Bill Walsh, you know, during those years. But Eddie was smart enough to know that Bill Walsh was the guy that was going to get him to the Super Bowl. Jed York, you know, ended up getting having a great coach fall in his lap 
And then because he couldn't control him, he got rid of him. And that's his prerogative. But he's screwed it up since. So um, you look at somebody like Denise who grew up with her brother having so much, so much success, but also their father, uh, they owned the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I think they won a Stanley Cup during their ownership. So she's used to being around winners. She's been fed up with this. Uh, the rumors that I've heard is she's been fed up with this for a long time, and she's never going to be in the spotlight. Uh, but she basically told Jed, this is what we're going to do. And, um, you know, basically you have no say in it. So Jed's gotten a, a lot of credit for the hires he made in, in Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. But like I said, he's made his share of mistakes over the years. Do you think the Jed's learned from those past mistakes or did he just kind of clo- <laughs> close his eyes and run into a pitch here? You know, is this, is he getting credit for things he should be getting credit for? Well, clearly it wasn't his decision. And, yeah. you know, I, I think what you, you have to understand is that uh, let's just, let's just be honest. You know, I'm a 57 year old man now in my early thirties and my mid thirties, you know, you pretty think pretty much think, you know, everything. When you get into your 50s, you realize you don't know much of anything. And, you know, so it's nepotism at its best. You have Jed York handed the keys to uh, Ferrari. And, you know, he's going to go out and, and drive recklessly. And Jed is a guy that's going to point a lot of fingers. Um, he's going to take all the credit when, you know, it isn't 100% him as evidenced by what happened with Harbaugh. And then when things get screwed up, he's going to start firing people because it's never going to be his fault until he changes that about himself. Then fortunately, again, his mom stepped in and made sure that these were the right hires. And that's why they got such long-term contracts, you know, because they're pretty much both unproven uh, it's the first time for either of them in this particular position. So, um, I think they're great hires. I really do. I, you know, Kyle Shanahan was running around as a 12 year old kid, as a ball boy. Um, he, and you could see it. He wasn't the typical, you know, little kid running around at practice. He was absorbing everything. He was, uh, he was very quiet, but, uh, he, he you could see he was standing right next to Steve Young and absorbing everything that he could. Um, and then John Lynch is just, he's just a great guy. He's, you know, he was a, a very good announcer, a very analytical, uh, you know, a, a very intelligent guy. Clearly he went to Stanford, uh, and a damn good football player understands, you know, clearly what you need to win in, in the NFL. And I think that those two together, um, are going to do well. The the problem with the NFL is everybody wants to wants that instant turnaround, and I don't see that happening. But uh, because first you have to change the culture clearly, um, but uh, eventually those guys are going to get it done. Now, staying with the ownership, you played for a great one in, in Eddie DeBardlow. Can you talk a little bit about what it was like to play for Mister DeBardlow and wh- what he means to you? Very simple. It was like going from the outhouse to the penthouse. Uh, you know, I played in San Diego for eight years, led the team in tackles, I think five out of those eight years, and Alex Panos never knew my name. I mean, wow. literally, I don't know how many times I ran into the guy and he'd call me son or kid or whatever. I went to the 49ers. I hadn't even played a down yet for the 49ers. I got signed about two months later, uh, ended up 
going to a charity event for the 49ers, Eddie came up to me and said, Gary, how are you? How's your wife at the time? My ex-wife now, Lana, and how are the kids? I mean, it was remarkable to me. And that was just the start. I mean, it was, it was everything. I know him uh, just embracing that place, 4949 Centennial Boulevard, where the 49er facility is, uh, was, it was Camelot. I mean, the front office people, uh, they would bend over backwards to do anything they could for you. And I never understood why it was so different until, uh, unfortunately, about four years ago, a guy that had worked there for 20 years for Eddie uh, passed away. I was taking him to a lot of his um, chemo treatments, and they were long drives from here in San Diego up to L.A. And, you know, we'd just talk. And one of the things he told me, one of the stories he told me was Eddie would go into every single person's office in the off season, early in the off season and say, okay, you know, we didn't uh, win it all this year. What are you going to do this year to make sure we win it all next year? And you want to talk about giving somebody ownership. This is like a guy that's in charge of travel and logistics. And, you know, Dave told me the story and it gave me chills because I never understood why we were so welcomed in the front office as players. There's always been this division between front office and players. You know, players don't go in the front office. The front office people don't go downstairs into the locker room. And yet there, it was one harmonious family. And a quick story about Eddie DeBartolo, uh, and it, it's happened dozens of times. I just happened to be a witness to this particular one. Um, you know, all your listeners are obviously great sports fans and, uh, you know, being a little bit older, my all time favorite movie, um, sports movie is, uh, Brian Piccolo and Gail Sayers, Brian's song. And when Dave Ron, who had worked for them for 20 years, hadn't worked, okay, this is 17 years after his last day working for the 49ers, but Eddie had stayed in touch with him when Dave was passing away. He flew him to three different cancer treatments uh, places in, in the United States and talked to him every week. And uh, then I was texting Eddie the last couple of weeks to tell him, you know, that we're getting closer to the end for Dave. And uh, he said, okay, you know, I'm going to fly out to see him, which he did. And then the day that Dave went into the hospital, um, he flew out again. And uh, probably eight of us inside the hospital room. And one of them was Steve Mariucci's wife. Uh, Mooch was somewhere else, so he couldn't be there. And uh, Eddie came in and pulled a chair up right next to the bed and grabbed Dave's hand and started uh, stroking his hair and just saying, Dave, we did some great things, didn't we? And it was 15 minutes of just talking about all the accomplishments and that they couldn't have done it without guys like you, Dave Ron. And uh, we all knew that they just needed a moment together. So we all went out. And then about 20 minutes later, Eddie came out and um, we walked him uh, to his car, Dave Ron's wife and I, and uh, he looked at her because Dave Ron had been concerned that his wife wouldn't be, you know, well taken care of. 
when he was gone. And Eddie said, I know Dave was trying to get enough money so that you could go to nursing school, Polly. Uh, I want you to know that I'm going to pay for that. Wow. And he did. I mean, and he, he did it for Freddie Stallman. He did it for, I mean, I see Jeff Fuller at every one of the 49er events and, you know, the story with him, great safety from Clemson who ended up you losing the use of his entire arm because of a hit in a game. And, uh, Eddie has taken care of basically not just his medical expenses, but living expenses ever since I don't even remember his last game. It was somewhere around 1990. It, he just is a phenomenal man. And I said to Eddie, as you know, he was getting ready to shut the door. I said, Eddie, I want to thank you for being the greatest patriarch any family has ever known. And he looked at me and he said, Gary, what you don't, what you should know is that without all you guys, there is no 49er family. Wow. It, it, and it's just unbelievable. He's an amazing guy. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. And, and everybody that you hear tell stories about him has those kind of stories where he just goes above and beyond, just even beyond human decency. He's just a wonderful person who does wonderful things. And it seems like he treated all of you guys, like you said, just like a family. It, it's amazing. Things you would do for a brother or sister, it seems like he did for his players. And that's that's and it's unbelievable to hear stories like that. It really is. really is. So, so, so you, you asked that that's the complete antithesis to what has gone on with the York family. Right. And, um, and I think it's embarrassing for Denise because Denise grew up with a you know, philanthropic father and a philanthropic brother. And to see, you know, what had, had transpired, uh, I think it's been embarrassing for her. So, um, you know, good for her. And I hope that, uh, that it does work out, uh, because, uh, first and foremost, growing up in the San Francisco Bay Area, I grew up a 49er fan, clearly playing for them, working for them as a broadcaster for 11 years after my career. I want them to do well. And uh, it's, been, uh, it's been tough to watch the last few years. One question I did want to ask you is looking back to 1994, that Super Bowl year, they brought you in, they brought in Ken Norton, they drafted Lee Woodall to really over overhaul the linebacker corp. And of course, you guys won the Super Bowl. Now, it seemed from the outside looking in that there was a lot of pressure on the team that season with the losses to the Cowboys. And I know it was your first year with the team, but did you feel that pressure in the locker room? Or was it something that you guys just took week to week and didn't worry about that? Oh, my gosh. It was, it was unbelievable. Uh, I can remember, um, like it was yesterday, thinking this is what it means to, to practice like a champion, to play like a champion. The pressure to to succeed was unparalleled and it wasn't a secret it was either we win the super bowl this year or we're all a bunch of failures and um it was it was a little bit scary it's one of those be careful what you wish for things because when it comes true you you might not uh might, well, not might not really want to be there <laughs> um, so i was the first guy that they signed and so um then Kenny Norton was the second guy. And when that happened, it was instant relief for me because, you know, they were basically saying, you're going to turn our defense around. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm a pretty confident guy, but uh, I'm not sure I can make a team go from uh, the second worst defense in the NFL to Super Bowl caliber. So it was a great bond early on for Kenny Norton and I. And then, of course, you know, the signings that happened after that, Deion Sanders and 
uh, it was fun. It was, it was a ton of pressure, but, um, you know, you, you thrive under that pressure if, you know, if that's in your character and all the guys that they did sign were truly those kind of players. And then, you know, when you have a guy like Eddie DeBartolo, uh, making sure, and, and most teams do this now, but at the time they didn't, you know, making sure that it was a wide body jet, that every player had three seats and, and making sure that every player had his own room. I mean, with the chargers, we were on the road and we had to room with another player that's snoring or, you know, staying up <laughs> late or whatever. So, um, it was remarkable. It really was, it, you know, just the way you were treated was, uh, phenomenal. And then, you know, when we did start winning, you would show up to a, an away game at the hotel and the entire, uh, hotel would be roped off. And it reminded me of like, rock stars because security was unbelievable and i mean hundreds and hundreds of fans just lining up trying to get into the hotel and just get a piece of somebody and you know screaming names out uh, it was completely foreign to a guy that had labored in anonymity in san diego for most of his eight-year career now, moving on to this year's team, there's an exciting player by the name of Ruben Foster. And now as an ex-linebacker, I'm curious to see what your thoughts are on him. Do you think he can be a franchise-type linebacker for this team moving forward? I'm going to be completely honest. I have not watched any of the Niner preseason games this year. Um, okay. Have, having uh, played and broadcast for 28 years, um, you know, I'm not real interested in preseason, uh, but I've heard great things about him and, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough position to excel at, uh, early on because it, it should be a cerebral position if he's inside outside backer, a little bit easier because you're more of a pass rush guy. Um, it's a rare guy like Patrick Willis that comes in his first year and lights it up or junior sale. Um, but, um, you know, hopefully the pass rush is, is the most important thing. And, and from what I've heard, he's pretty darn good at that. So, um, yeah, I mean, you can, you can build around people like that. Now, you played with some all-time greats. You played with Jerry Rice, Steve Young, Junior Seau, to name a few. But I'm interested to hear maybe what some of your favorite teammates, who some of your favorite teammates were, even just some under-the-radar guys who really sort of held the locker room together. I can, uh, well, I can tell you my all-time favorite teammate, actually, we had an undefeated high school football team, and uh, there was a kid that never played a down, and he was at every single practice and, um, you know, enthusiastic and everything else. Um, he's a school teacher up in Oregon, and uh, his name is Murray Ferguson, all-time favorite teammate. Uh, still stay in touch with him. It, it's it's a pretty cool deal because uh, I can remember like feeling sorry for myself at practice because you're hot and tired and you're thinking you know I really don't want to do this right now and here's a guy that will never play in a game and yet he's out here working hard he kept me working hard at practice many times but moving into the NFL um, so many great teammates uh, just just amazing you think of somebody like Charlie Joyner who played. 18 years in the NFL and, and held the uh, catch record at one time. He was just a student of the game. Uh, he, he, you know, just such a cerebral guy as a, as a receiver. And it was, it was great to be able to pick his brain 
he, he actually then became a coach with the Chargers afterwards, and uh, he was always a great resource. Um, Kenny Norton, <laughs> I mean, just a character. Uh, we had so much fun uh, playing together for those four years, and I actually just saw him recently. Of course, now he's the D coordinator for the uh, Oakland Raiders, and don't be surprised if he's not a head coach in the NFL pretty soon. All right, Gary, we appreciated the time tonight, but before we let you go, um, we wanted to do a, a rapid-fire segment with you, and, and this is to get for the fans to get to know you a little bit better. We all know Gary Plummer, the football player. We watched you on the field, but this is for the fans to get to know Gary Plummer, the person, a little bit better. So to start off, do you have any favorite books? Absolutely. Easy. The Art of Happiness by the Dalai Lama. Okay, okay. How many times have you read that one? Uh, I, well, I've probably given it away more than I've read it. I think I've read it three times, but I've uh, given it away about 300 times. Uh, you know, anytime there's somebody that I know is struggling in life, I just uh, buy the book and, uh, and send it to them and uh, usually get a, a pretty nice thank you after the person finishes it. And that's the sign of a good book when you like it so much that you want to give it to someone else to experience the same thing. And that's when you, that's when you know it's a good read for sure. Yeah. yeah. Now, did you have a favorite team growing up, sort of the team that you lived and died by in, in any sport? It doesn't have to be football. Um, yeah, I actually uh, loved uh, the, the 49ers, but uh, the Oakland A's were huge. I loved playing baseball, you know, as a kid and uh, growing up in Fremont, which was only about uh, 17, 18 miles from, from Oakland. And they were clearly very good in the uh, late 60s and early 70s. Uh, loved the, the Oakland A's. And then, like most kids, I was a front runner, so I was a Laker fan. As uh, you know, when it came to basketball, did you have a favorite athlete growing up? Um, Jim Thorpe. He was the the first book I can ever remember doing a book report on was Jim Thorpe, and um, you know, I'm whatever one thirty second Choctaw Indian, so I considered myself a big Indian guy and. Uh, he was he was a a real hero and overcame adversity and all those fun things. So uh, it kind of started me on my um, my road down the the path of enjoying reading uh, autobiographies of athletes. Final question: Other than winning the Super Bowl, can you pinpoint a favorite moment in your career? Well, it would be during the Super Bowl. Um, I actually had um, prior to the Super Bowl, I guess. Jerry Rice could tell that that myself and Ricky uh, Jackson, uh, pretty darn good linebacker in his own right, um, you know, we were nervous. You know, I think I was in my 13th year and Ricky was in his 14th year. And uh, we were in locker mates. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, about 10 minutes before the game, uh, Jerry Rice came up behind us, put his hands uh, one on each shoulder, leaned down and said, hey, don't worry, tonight I'm going to get you guys your first Super Bowl ring. And I literally got my cell phone out of my locker, called my wife. I said, <laughs> have the boys at the 50-yard line with two minutes to go uh, in the game. We're going to kick their ass. And two, sure enough, two minutes before the end of the game, my kids were right there on the 50-yard line. I went and pulled them out of the stands, and they sat on the bench. And there are you know, tons of pictures of me and the boys on the bench. Um, and then standing around Jerry Rice and Steve Young. And that, uh, that to me, was the, the best moment uh, of my entire career. 
And you're in that iconic shot where Steve Young is saying, someone get this monkey off my back, and you come in and pull the fake monkey off of his back, and you see that yeah. on every highlight of that Super Bowl and everything. That's like the famous shot, yeah. and that's that's really great. That's one of the things I'll always remember, actually, from that Super Bowl is, is watching. And actually, I'm <laughs> Well, and actually, I'm saying it wasn't a monkey. It was a gorilla. <laughs> um, and, and, and it really was. Um, and Steve has actually talked about that a few times. I see Steve, you know, five, six times a year, mostly at charity events. He's got a great charity, Forever Young Foundation. And he, uh, he says, you know, he wished he hadn't have done that because it took the focus off of, you know, the team and the victory and all these other things. But that's who he is. He's a humble guy. Uh, it, it truly was a gorilla, and uh, so so grateful that uh, you know he did get it off of his back. It's a great moment, great moment in 49ers history for sure. Well, Gary, we really appreciate the time. Thank you so much. It was great to talk to you, and good luck to you. Okay, I appreciate. It. Thank you. Thanks again to Gary Plummer, and I think my favorite part of of listening to his answers were was the passion that he talked about with Eddie DeBarlow, and you can just tell with Eddie D, the players absolutely love him, and you just hear story after story of him bringing in these players and, and treating them like family, and I, I thought probably one of the most interesting things he said was when he talked about the owner of the Chargers, um, Spanos is the name, I believe. He said that, you know, Gary didn't even think that he knew his name. And then the the minute he gets to San Francisco, he's greeted with open arms and they know him and his family and treated and he's treated like family. And and that's Eddie D, man. And um that's why he's one of the greatest owners in sports. And you can tell and it's understandable why he's frustrated with current ownership. And as much as we're hoping the current ownership is turning the corner. You know, there were things that happened and, and Gary definitely voiced his frustrations with those. And I thought he was very honest. And, and as someone who's interviewing and someone who has a guest on, I appreciated his honesty. I really did. Um, and I thought it was a great lesson and I hope everyone really enjoyed it. But Zay, moving forward, the big news on Tuesday before we break down this game, uh, Vance McDonald got traded. And I'm, I'm just going to let you go off on that. Yeah, and this is something that both you and I had kind of called before training camp even started. We knew that Vance McDonald wouldn't make it through training camp. He would either be traded or released, um, and he's he got traded. So uh, the fact that they got a fourth-round pick for Vance... They, they, so basically, this is the trade. It's, it's Vance McDonald plus the 49ers' fifth-round pick this year to the Pittsburgh Steelers for their fourth-round pick next year. Sorry, it's 49ers' um, fifth-round pick next year. For Pittsburgh's fourth round pick next year. Clearly, the the medications and all this stuff are still <laughs> they're still like you know a little foggy. It's all right. It's all right. Like, so I'm still stressed from from the interview. So it's it's all good. We'll, <laughs> we'll get through this. So send the listeners send medication fast to Alan Zane, please. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, the 49ers got an extra fourth round pick in the 2018 draft, and that gives them seven picks in the first four rounds. They've got a first, two seconds, two thirds, and two fourths. So. John Lynch has very quietly stockpiled a bunch of picks to either use or move up to draft possibly a quarterback or another player of need. And I, I personally, I love the pick because I would have been happy for like a seventh rounder for Vance McDonald. I didn't think there was much of a market for him, but clearly the Steelers and Mike Tomlin and everybody over there think that they could use him. And, and looking at what Mike Tomlin said after, after the trade, he said that nobody really has won the tight end spot over there. So they really feel like Vance McDonald can fit. and. You know, the 49ers have three tight ends that are pretty capable that they brought in this past offseason and Logan Paulson, Cole Hikatini, and George Kittle, uh, the draft pick. So they're high on all of those guys. And Logan Paulson's a system guy. 
and Kittle, the draft pick, has has shown really good flashes in the preseason, and Hikatini is kind of a developmental sort of prospect that has a lot of athleticism. So there's there's way too much upside in the tight end department to have all three of those guys off the team. So I'm not I'm not surprised at all. I think we all knew that this was coming, and I know that you have some stats on Vance McDonald. I do, and I, I, before I get to those, I did want to say you mentioned the, the current tight ends, and, and I saw a couple rumblings today too. I think Jason Lacanfora was one of the people who said it that he's still getting the sense that the Niners are open to trading a tight end, which obviously means Garrett Selleck, I would think. So what you could end up, and I, I wish I can give credit to the person who who brought this up, but I don't remember who it was. They said that it's possible Hikatini will probably end up on the practice squad because he hasn't really played. I think this upcoming preseason game is very important for him. But he hasn't really played with the with the twos or anything like that, so he looks practice squad bound at, at the moment. But they brought up uh, Kyle Uzcheck, and, and because of the way he's going to be used, maybe they only keep two tight ends. Maybe they only keep um, Paulson and Kittle. Use um, Uzcheck mm-hmm. as sort of a you know de facto sort of tight end type thing, um, and do it that way, which would be really interesting because then it opens up other roster spots and there is a lot of competition at the bottom of this roster with guys who could stick around. So I thought that was very interesting, but we have to wait and see how it plays out, I guess. Um, but yeah, the stats on McDonald, yeah. In four years with, with 49ers, he had 64 catches, 866 yards and seven touchdowns. And I mentioned those stats on this show before that's like a good season for like Travis Kelsey or Jordan Reed, or, you know, that's a good season for a tight end. This is four years. He had that 54% catch rate and a 15.8% job drop rate, which was the worst out of all eligible tight ends with 75 more catchable targets. Now, McDonald never had more than 30 catches in a season. He never had more than 391 yards in a season. And if you look at that, if you kind of do that average-wise, you're looking at a guy who gets about two catches for about 25 yards a game or you know, close to that. And he was going to make $4.2 million this year. Just the bang was not worth the buck there. And it's it's not a surprise that he's gone because we knew this was happening. Um, but it is a big move because he was playing with the ones and maybe they were showcasing him more than anything else. But he was not destined for this team. And I, I think, and I, I want to know what you think about this, a lot of these veterans, we've brought this up before, that are sort of in the last year of their contract are just holdovers. Are the Niners going to get rid of these guys and keep the younger guys? This is a rebuild, right? Shouldn't they get rid of the Keith Reesers and keep the Adrian Colberts? Shouldn't shouldn't they go that route? Yeah, and you know the the thing that sticks out to me about Vance McDonald, I remember Vance McDonald for two things, and I remember him for a the drop that he had against Carolina that the Forty ers led the the game at Candlestick that they lost ten nine to the Panthers. Mm, he yep. Luke yep. Keekley down the seam. He was open. Kaepernick laid it in there, laid a perfect ball in there, and, and McDonald would have had an easy touchdown, dropped it. And the 49ers subsequently ended up losing in Seattle at the end of that year. That game basically could have brought the championship game to Candlestick Park had they won that game. And now I don't want to put it all on Vance McDonald, be like, it's his fault. It's not his fault, but that was a huge game. And that was a huge drop in that game. So that's one thing. And then the other one was, I believe, 2014 when. The Niners were playing the Rams, and and Kaepernick had a little naked bootleg they threw out to Vance McDonald in the right flat, and he was kind of rumbling down the sideline, and he ended up coughing up the ball. It was his longest catch of his career up to that point, and he ended up fumbling it away to the Rams because he dropped the ball. Mm. So those are the two things that stick out for, for Vance McDonald for me. But to answer your question about getting rid of some of these veterans and bringing in younger guys... It's interesting. If you look at Trent Baalke's draft picks and his specifically the offensive draft picks, he, he, since t- 2010, I believe he had 37 offensive draft picks. Only eight of those remain. 
Can you name can you name those eight guys that are still on the roster on the offense? The eight guys that are still on the roster from his that picks. Bu- yeah, that bulky pick, yeah. I, on the offense? Yep. All right. Smelter and Burbage. Mm-hmm. Garnett. Mm-hmm. Trent Brown. Yep. Blake Bell. Mm-hmm. Um Kilgore. Mm-hmm. What am I at? Six or seven? Uh that is six. Okay. Carlos Hyde. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, I'm going through trying to figure out. Um, I don't think I know the other one. It's uh, John Theus. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So eight draft picks only out of the, out of the 37 offensive players that he selected since 2010 still remain on the team. So they're, they're purging this roster. And a lot of those guys that we just mentioned aren't locks. Like I don't think Burbridge and Smelter make the team. I think Theus is kind of, uh, you know, the offensive line is in flux, so he might make the team. And Carlos Hyde, you know, you've seen the rumors behind him, and he's he's kind of struggled, and we'll get we'll get to that in a little bit as well. He's kind of struggled in the preseason, but it's just you saw it with Ahmad Brooks and him getting getting released, and you're kind of seeing a changing of the guard. You're seeing some of these old holdover players that were from the previous regime being flipped, and there's new there's new blood coming in, so to speak. So you're going to see more of that, and they flipped over half the roster already this year. And I think that, that over the next year, year and a half, you'll see the entire other half of the roster also flipped. You'll see some of these veteran guys moving on um, and some of these guys kind of fighting for spots. And, and Navarro Bowman was kind of one of those guys as well. We, it, before the Malcolm Smith injury, we weren't sure what sort of role he would have in the defense and how much he would play. But that Malcolm Smith injury, you know, Bowman is playing a lot. Reuben Foster is playing a lot. And I, I definitely want to talk about Reuben Foster when we talk about uh, talk about the game. But it just, you know, Al. It just seems like they're they're really focused on getting as many new bodies in there as possible because they they realize that the players that were there weren't necessarily getting the job done. And it's not going to make sense for them to say, "Well, we like just to throw a couple names out for examples. We like Keith Reeser more than Adrian Colbert this year, so we're going to run with Reeser this year." If they feel Colbert can help them two or three years down the line, I don't feel that they're going to do that. Because Reeser's probably going to be there next year, so who cares if he has a decent season if you're going to ultimately expose someone to the practice squad that you think can help eventually. I don't think they're going to do that. So there will be more surprise veteran cuts, in my estimation. I don't know who those guys are going to be. We'll have to see how it all plays out. And as much as the fourth preseason game, you're kind of like, ah, just get through this one. It doesn't mean anything. For the Niners, there's some guys who are going to be looking to make an impression. And if, if some guys step up, they could force their way onto the roster and, and force a veteran off who may not even be playing this week. <laughs> it could really end up being that way. But to get into this game a little bit, I, I was, like I said, super impressed with what I saw in the first half. And there were issues. There were issues at cornerback. There were issues at running back. But overall, if you said the Niners were going to go on the road, look the way they did on offense those first couple drives and not give up any points in, in the first half for, for the issues that they had in the, on the back end of the defense, they didn't give up any points. So it was still a good start. In, in starting off, Brian Hoyer had a set 172 yards, 176 yards in the, in the first half, and I think he started out 9 for 9 or something like that. Hoyer with 176 in the first half. Niners quarterbacks last year averaged 198 a game. So Hoyer comes out, and he looks sharp. And the biggest thing for me was he's hitting his back foot, and the ball's coming out. He's releasing really quick. He was hitting Garcon on, on those quick slants. And then when it comes time for the big play, you know, all we had heard about the soft season was, was Hoyer to Goodwin and, and all these plays, and we hadn't seen it yet. And they come out on that drive and, and a really nice, you know, kind of razzle-dazzle with a couple fakes back there. And, and Goodwin's wide open behind the defense and 
and Hoyer hit him in stride. And, and listen, you can say, well, you know, there's a lot of good scheming on, on Shanahan's part. Hoyer looked every bit the part of a good player. Not a great, I don't think he's a great quarterback. I don't know there's going to be a Pro Bowl quarterback, but in this system with Shanahan, I think he can be a good player. And he looked like a good player in week three of the preseason. He did. And the, the throw to the, whole play design on the touchdown that Goodwin was was fantastic. It was a it was a play action fake where Hoyer had his back to the defense, basically planted his back foot and let it rip and and Goodwin did a little uh did a little post move to the to the uh to the seam and and he totally beat Xavier Rhodes. And Xavier Rhodes is one of the better corners in the league. Let's not let's not say that he didn't beat just anybody. Xavier Rhodes is probably a top five corner in my opinion. And he just burned he he toasted him by at least at least seven yards. So uh, that to me, like you didn't see that sort of play call or play design in the last two years. You, you haven't seen that sort of thing, even, even from Harbaugh, you, you can say that you saw a lot of like, you know, line it up and bruise them and, and kind of have these weird formations, but you didn't really see anything like that. That's a traditional sort of bread and butter pass play. And you have a system quarterback in Brian Hoyer that, that can execute all of the throws that are required in this system. And you saw, you saw what he was doing. He was, he was throwing short slant, quick slants to Pierre Garcon. I think every single one of Garcon's catches was on a, was on a slant play. That was basically just like a three-step drop or a one-step drop and it's out. And he doesn't, Hoyer doesn't have a big windup. You can see that he basically takes the ball from his chest and kind of straight back and straight up and it's out. So uh, I believe they timed it and it was about two tenths of a second and it was out from being at his chest to being out of his hand. Um, so I think that's, that's one of the big things too in this is offense is a quarterback who gets rid of the ball. But as far as his start, you really kind of saw a lot of what the coaches see in Brian Hoyer. He's not a guy that's going to blow you out of the water. He's not a guy that's going to be like an MVP candidate type of guy, but he's a serviceable starter. And what you saw was basically the best, the best of Brian Hoyer. That's, that's kind of his ceiling, right? Like he's not a high ceiling guy, but he's not really like a low floor guy. So he's almost like, dare I compare, but he's almost like Alex Smith, but with a little bit more success and experience. Um, so I, I don't think that we're going to see nine or 10 wins out of, out of Brian Hoyer this year. You, you're going to see like, you know, six to eight wins out of him, but you have a quarterback if he's healthy, who's capable of running the offense. I agree. definitely agree. Definitely agree. But what word mean? It, it's funny. I got I got asked a question. I think it was a ninety five seven. The game they asked me, "Well, is Brian Hoyer going to throw 30, 35 times this year?" And I'm like, "No, you know, this is going to be a running team. They're still going to run the ball." Well, from the looks of things, I don't know how well they're going to be able to run the ball. Carlos Hyde in the preseason is seventeen carries for forty five yards. It just doesn't seem like he's really able to find any running room, and that could have a lot to do with the guard play. Listen, the two guards that they have playing now, um, Brandon Fusco and Zane Beatles, they did not play well last year. They were not good guards last year, and that's who they're rolling with this year. And even if Joshua Garnett comes back, he wasn't good last year either. I think he graded out worse than they did, for according to Pro Football Focus. So they were all three of them were in the bottom part of the league in terms of grades. We don't know what the guard play is going to be like this year, and Hyde could have a, a tough time finding running room. And I'm, I'm worried about the running game right now, I am. Yeah, and I, and I couldn't agree with you more. They're really, really struggling. and they've struggled all preseason and yeah, it's, it is preseason, but you're just, you're just not seeing any of these holes opened up. You're not seeing any of these guys really kind of hit the hole and hit it hard aside from Joe Williams. And, and Matt Breida had, had a, had a couple of good runs, but 
these are these are against the the backups and second and third stringers, but the starting unit they really seem to be struggling because you're looking at a bunch of offensive linemen who are not fit for this scheme. Like we thought that Zane Beatles would kind of be a better zone blocker, but he's he struggled a little bit. So it's kind of it's it, and he was a pro bowler too in Denver. So it's kind of it's yet to be seen if he can kind of regain that form. But Fusco and Kilgore and Trent Brown and and even Joel Staley for that for that matter, they're they're more of a run blocking sort of offensive line because that's what that's what they used to do. And that's what Trent Balky wanted. So he brought all of those guys in. And I, I think that in this offseason, John Lynch is gonna really have to bring in guys that are a little bit more athletic and can move quicker and can pull. And you saw in the beginning of the game there was a bunch of zone stretch stretch plays to the left or to the right that they ran with Hyde and and he wasn't able to get to the corner because there was no blocking out there so they need guys who can run that stretch play and they need guys who can get out in space and 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 clear the way for Hyde but I just I just don't feel like they have that right now and you're seeing it with the running game and you have to wonder if if Shanahan will, will try some different things during the season to get the running game going. I mean, Shanahan's one of the best in the league at, at scheming and, and game planning. So he's going to see the weaknesses in, in, in game plan around them. But right now it's a concern. And you have to wonder if the Niners will kind of scour the, ra- the waiver wire when cuts happen, if, if there is a guard that fits their system that may be able to come in and perform a little bit better than the guys that they have because they don't have a lot of confidence with, what's, what's, with what is there now. The other position group that has me extremely worried are the cornerbacks. Even in the first half when the Niners overall defense played well and, and kept the Vikings off the scoreboard, cornerbacks still didn't look good. They were still getting thrown on. I mean, there was nothing mm-hmm. deep. Everything was underneath. But um, Johnson and, and Robinson still looked like they were easily beat. And I worry about Robinson. You know, there, there was a lot of talk. And we, we were high on him, and we still are. We think he's going to be a very good player. But to think he can be a number one type corner at this stage of his career, he's very young, is asking a lot of him, especially when there's not a lot of help on the other side. And I would worry this year that when he goes against some of the better receivers in the league, that he's going to have a really tough time, really tough time. And on the other side, I, I, I don't know if, if Johnson's the answer there. And, and even if he isn't, I'm not sure who they would put in anyway, because there's not a lot of depth there. That corner group is, is scary thin. Yeah, it is. And Sam Bradford started nine for nine in that game. And he was, the 49ers were aided by a couple of penalties on, on the Vikings. And at one point, Eric Armstead to Forrest Buckner had back-to-back sacks. And I do, I do want to talk about the defensive line in a bit as well. I thought they played well, but um, the corners were really, really struggling. They have been all preseason and, and all of them are struggling. It's not just, it's not just the starters that are struggling. It's a starter, second team, third team, like everybody's struggling as a whole. And I think it's part of it is because the the press man scheme, honestly, you know, Al, if it was a if it was that easy to run, everybody would be running it. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a copycat league. You look at what Seattle has done with this same scheme, and and they are one of the historic defenses that this league has seen. And if it was that easy to run it, then everybody would be copying them. But I don't think it's that easy of a scheme to run because you need the proper personnel and it comes down to that same point that we were making earlier that they just don't have the personnel to run that scheme just yet. They have some, but right now it's going to, there are going to be a lot of growing pains because you just see that, that they're, they're having trouble being physical off the line and they're having trouble getting jams. And there was a couple of balls that were dropped by Stefan Diggs that would have gone for really big gains. He ran a little slants over the middle, little crossing routes over the middle, about 10 yards um, downfield in the middle of the field and he was wide open because he was back behind the linebackers 
and in front of the safety. So there was a window there and that's basically like a, a cover three beating sort of route. And they were getting beat on that. It's just that Diggs dropped the ball. So I, I really feel like they're going to have to address this either through the waiver wire or having Jimmy Ward move back to corner and putting Lorenzo Jerome at safety or, you know, another guy that we heard, heard that just came on this week, came on, uh, on the uh, block this week was Joe Hayden and he's got that huge salary. So they're looking, Cleveland's looking to trade him, but I would love to get Joe Hayden on a, on a lesser contract here. See, I don't know about Hayden and he didn't play well last year. I know he was banged up. People only played 13 games a year before they only played five games. He hasn't really been good the past couple of years. And that price tag, I believe it's 14 million a year. Mm-hmm. That's, that's too much. I think for a guy like that. Now, if you're maybe a team ready to win and you need a vet, okay, but the Niners are rebuilding. I, I don't know about Hayden. I know some people like him as an option. I, I just don't. Now, if he gets cut, which is a possibility, and you kind of bring him in at a, on a reasonable deal, sure, go for it, because he, he might be better than, than what you already have. But for a $14 million price tag, for me, no no way. I, he would have to get cut for me, for me to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you brought up a good point in terms of there's this is a rebuilding effort, and not every position group is going to be set right away there's going to be it's going to take time for them to build this team and you're not going to get a, a corner and a pass rusher and defensive ball you know all in one year it's going to take time but one thing that could cover up the shaky cornerback play is the fact that this front seven looks really good right now really good they look deep they were getting pressure and getting pressure from different places you're going to have buckner you're going to have armstead you're going to have doomerville you're going to have thomas you're going to have a lot of different guys who can get to the corner quarterback and behind them, you got some studs in Ruben Foster and Navarro Bowman and, and Eli Harold, who's looking like it could maybe have a breakout season this year. Yeah, and man, Ruben Foster, wow. Like he, he led the team in tackles. He only played the first half, but he, le- he led the team in tackles. And the, the first play of the game, he set the tone, a little swing pass. He came out and just laid a lick on, on the running back. And, and uh, you know, that's, those are tone setters. Those are tone setting hits. He hit... Laquan Treadwell over the middle too. When uh, Treadwell caught a pass, he he uh, immediately ruined Foster. Came up just like a missile, and he's going to be a star. And he is so much fun to watch. And I know it's only preseason, but this guy is he's the real deal. And you can see it from from the time that he steps on a football field. You can see it in practice. You can see it in the games. Uh, you know, just Forty uh, ers fans, just buckle up because this guy is gonna this guy is gonna open a lot of eyes around the league, and he's gonna make a lot of people regret that they passed on him. And, you know, this is something we've been saying since he got drafted. And I think he fits the scheme perfectly. You know, they, they took Navarro Bowman off for passing downs and Ruben Foster was there and they were getting a lot of pressure up front. Elvis Dumerville was constantly in the backfield. Armstead and Buckner each had a sack, which is great because you want to see that out of them. Solomon Thomas was, he had, he, he wasn't as effective um, in this past game, but he was pretty good at setting the edge and, and he played, you know, he's occupying blockers and basically doing the dirty work that we don't see. So a lot of times just because you don't hear a guy's name, doesn't mean that he wasn't doing his job. Like he, you know, he was, he was pretty solid up front as well. So this front seven, and you put a tweet out there during the game, this front seven is going to be one of the most improved units in the league, I think. And it's because of the talent that they've got. And that's even with the Malcolm Smith injury. And uh, you know, it's just it, it was it was a lot of fun to watch, wasn't it? It was it was nice to see the 49ers defense actually stop somebody, wasn't it? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And the thing with Foster, and I, I hate to compare him to this person because it's it's such a, a high praise. It's Patrick Willis. He reminds me of Patrick Willis. I remember when Patrick yeah. Willis mm-hmm. first came to the Niners, you're like, wow, that dude just stands out. 
you know, you know what I mean? He's just, he's faster than everybody else. He looks like a missile. He just stands out. It's the same thing with Foster. I just really hope this guy can stay healthy. Keep his hat on straight because you're right. He's, he's going to be a star. He's going to be a decade long pro bowl, all pro type player. If he stays mm-hmm. healthy and his stays on straight, he's, he's that good. And I, we both said that other than miles Garrett and even, even maybe with miles, he made that Foster may be the best player in the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, and he really, he really may be. He's he, he's that good of a player. Now, someone I want to bring up um, because to me, I, I don't know if there's another player I'm more worried about at this point is Jimmy Ward because he tweaked his hamstring again. And we're saying, oh, you know, we're going to be careful with this guy. We're being careful with him. Okay, well, he's probably going to end up starting the season if if he's even healthy without playing a down in this new system. And you can say, well, you know, he's he's been he's been studying and, and safety's his natural position. Listen, he hasn't played safety in the NFL, he hasn't played in this system, and he hasn't played it down this preseason. I don't know how you cannot be worried about that going into the season. Ward's missed thirteen games in his career, and he's just to me right now not somebody that you can really count on this season as far as being a consistent producer because you don't know if he's gonna be on the field. Yeah, and that's that's concerning to me too, and especially with the fact that there's such a big need at corner as well. And, and if he was healthy, he could definitely help out there. But enter our friend, Lorenzo Jerome, friend of the show. You know, he's, he's a guy that has made plays all, you know, in, in practice and made some plays in the preseason. And there are some things like instincts that will, that will have to kick in with, I think he's a good stopgap. I think he, he has a lot of room to grow and a lot of potential. And he's, he's been one of my favorite players to watch in this, in this training camp. And, there's there's help there and and another one of uh our our podcast guest adrian colbert he can play safety as well like he they had him lining up at safety training camp so there are some guys that can take that spot it's just that inexperience factor that's really going to be um hanging over this entire unit and with this cover three single high safety sort of scheme you really have to have a safety a free safety that can cover ground because if you look at Again, I want to point to Seattle's defense. If you look at where Earl Thomas lines up before the ball is snapped, he's he's about 20 to 25 yards down the field and just kind of playing center field. So you have to have a guy that has the instincts to be able to get to his spots because the other safety, Eric Reed, is playing in the box. And by the way, Al, did you have you noticed a difference in Eric Reed? Have you noticed that he's just he just seems more comfortable in the box? Oh, he looks like a different player. Oh, yeah, different different player. If this is the right system for him. He's doing what I think he was built to do. Mm-hmm. Um, it, he's just more comfortable, and and he looks he looks like his old Pro Bowl Pro Bowl self. You know, he had he had kind of gone downhill the past couple of years in Mangini's scheme, and and last year in Jim O'Neill, everybody went downhill in Jim O'Neill's scheme. But Reed's a different player. He looks confident. He he's flying to the ball. He looks comfortable in the system. But I wonder, you know, if, if Ward isn't going to be on the field, it, it might be Tart, the next man up at free safety. Because um, yeah. as much as we like Jerome and as much as we think he's going to be a player, and I, I do, I think he's going to be a good player. You know, he's an undrafted free agent. He's a rookie. <laughs> you know, it's a lot to ask week one to put him out there. He does have to develop as, as most of these rookies do. Even Foster and Thomas have to develop. Maybe not Foster. Foster Foster already looks ridiculous. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, but these guys are going to have ups and downs. They all are. So, um you know, you could see Tart out there at free safety, but the secondary is a huge concern with injuries at the safety position, the free safety position anyway, in the cornerbacks. So we'll see how it plays out, but definitely something to keep an eye on. Somebody we forgot to mention, um, Raheem Mostert has been absolutely yes. fantastic this preseason to the point where, and I think I said it a couple of shows ago, might have been last show I was talking about um, Victor Bolden making the team as a kicker turner. 
And I think I said that, oh, well, you know, Mostert's the other kick turner. He's not making the team. Well, I think he's making the team now. I really do. I think he's played that well where he's pushed the envelope where I believe the odd man out now is Tim Hightower. What do you think about that? Yeah, and it's funny. I saw Tim Hightower playing special teams. So I I really think that at this point, uh, it's going to be it's, – it's funny because this wasn't this wasn't how it looked at the beginning of training camp. Nobody was really even thinking about Raheem Mostert. He spent last year on the practice squad, and and nobody really knew anything of him. He was only active for the last game last year. And, you know, he's he's been really, really electric with not only catching the ball and running with it, but also he had a, he had a touchdown run as well, and he had a tackle on special teams. So he can kind of do it all, and I think that – John Lynch likes that because John Lynch himself kind of started on special teams as well. He wasn't a starting safety. He started as a special teams gunner. So guys like Mostert and Victor Bolden hold that inherent value because they can do more than one thing. So I really think that the writing is kind of on the wall for, for Capri Bibbs. I don't, I don't think he'll, he'll be with the team after, uh, after training camp. And, you know, even, even Joe Williams and Matt Breida, it's, it seems like they're basically, you have four guys fighting for, in my opinion, three spots. You have Hyde, then you have Joe Williams, Matt Breida, and Raheem Mostert fighting for the last three spots, so um, or the last two spots. So it's it's going to be interesting to see who plays more in this last game. They've been kind of cautious with Joe Williams. I haven't seen we didn't see too much of him last game after seeing quite a bit of him the first the first after the first game. And uh, Matt Breida is another guy who he can return kicks as well. So it's quite possible, Al, that they may keep you know, four running backs on the roster and just, you know, have one, one on the, either on the practice squad or inactive on game days. Yeah, it's definitely possible. Um, it's where the cuts happen will be interesting to see, because if, if say they don't keep Matt Barkley, say they only go with two tight ends. This is what I mean, where it's opening up spaces at the bottom of the roster. If maybe you want to keep, you know, a moster because, because he's played so well along with Brita and Williams, that sort of thing and Hyde. Um, so this next game, pay attention because some of these guys are, are really in a dogfight for a roster position. And it's, it's going to be fun to see. This is probably the most interest that I've had. In a, I've had in a fourth preseason game in uh, quite mm-hmm. some time. So, mm-hmm. um, but did you have any thoughts before we wrap this up saying about um, the Gary Plummer interview, anything you want to share with fans? Cause you're going to actually be away for a couple of weeks and we'll let them know about that. But did you have anything you want to say before, before we wrap this up here? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'll be away for a couple of weeks. So, uh, I'm going to miss talking to all the, uh, all the fans and all the listeners about the last preseason game, but I will, I will uh, be making my notes and, and I will return strong. Uh, and you know, I, I, regarding Gary Plummer, I just, I just appreciate so much any, any player that comes on and talks to us and, and gives us the time. I appreciate that so much because they, they literally put their bodies on the line for, for the fans and for, for us and the media and for everybody, basically they, they, they put their bodies on the line and they pay sometimes the ultimate price. And, you know, these guys have lingering injuries and things like that. And they, they did it for the love of the game. They did it for the fans they did it for their families and they did, they did it for the right reasons. This is one of those professions that you don't get into for the wrong reasons. You do it usually because either you love the game um, or, you know, you just, you're just really good at it. Right. Let's, let's be honest. But mm-hmm. I, I, I really, I've always appreciated Gary Plummer and his, and his candidness and, and hearing him on the radio and hearing him give interviews. He's, he's a link to the last 49ers championship team of that dynasty of the eighties and nineties. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely appreciate what he did. And he talked about, you know, Eddie D and, and the, the effect that Eddie D had. And, and 
it's you know people hear us talk about what's going on with the current team and the current organization and and the the regime and and we get frustrated with it and because of all the losing and, and everything but it's never and and I I think I can speak for both of us it's never anything personal that we that we say hey XYZ person is is not doing their job because we just want to see the team win we're we're like everybody else we want to see the team win we're we're like the fans we're like the former players we want to see success um, coming from this organization again, we want to see more Super Bowl titles and and see what the team kind of kind of had going back in those days. So it's not anything coming from a bad place, but I, I really feel like you know Gary Plummer and and a lot of our fans and a lot of the 40, former 49ers, Steve Young, Jerry Rice, are really passionate about the team and they're excited and they're fired up about this new regime and 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 I am too. But um, you know, we may have a we may have a little uh, surprise host in store uh, for when I'm gone. We'll see what uh, we'll see what Al can do. I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah. play a challenge out for you. Yeah, and I do want to say before before I address that. Yeah, yeah, you made you made the point about how we address things, and I think for for Zane and I, the most important thing for us is is to be honest, and we have to be fair to what we see, or we're not doing our jobs. You know, we definitely don't look at things through red and gold colored glasses, and it's a little funny because if if you just became familiar with with me anyway through this show i've been very positive um about the 49ers and you may think because i am a fan of the team as well as cover the team that like oh well you know al's you know again looking at things through red and gold glasses he's just he loves 49ers that's i destroyed this team the last three years if you read anything that i wrote i absolutely destroyed this team for three years i had almost nothing good to say i was disgusted with the way things were going they were a rudderless ship and i have been very complimentary of them moving forward because i i, I really agree and i'm with the path that they're going on um now if you listen to what gary said he doesn't he doesn't think that jed york really made the call on the hiring of kyle shannon he thinks that that was denise debart low york so that was very interesting um and i asked him one of the things that i did ask him is i'm sure the listeners heard you know did did jed change did he learn from his mistakes and gary kind of laughed he didn't he didn't think so you know he still thinks that the ego was involved there so let's see how this plays out. You know, we still have to see if, if Jed's going to stay out of the way, if this team ends up two and seven this year or starts out slow again next year. So you can have the patience for the build. We have, we have to see. So right now, yeah, we're loving life and we're loving where the Niners are going, but we will be honest <laughs> if things start to go South. And I'm going to be very patient with this team because I think it's going to mm-hmm. take a while. I like where they're headed, but you know, definitely we're going to give our, our very straightforward opinions as well. So but yeah. Okay. Anyway, Back to what we're talking about. Um, yeah, Zane's going to be gone for two weeks. So Zane, you'll be back about week two, right? We're expecting probably after the week two game. Yes, that's correct. Yep. You go on like some covert spy mission or something. I don't even know where you're going. You're like out of yeah, the country, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. I'll be I'll be out of the country, and uh, you know, I may I may throw some stuff up on my Twitter when I when I get back. But uh, I I actually, you know what? Because people people talk about like these people coming into people's houses for after after they post on social media and and they try to rob them and stuff. So maybe I'm not going out of the country. Maybe I'm just going to be here. Oh yeah, you're. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to rob you when you're gone. I'm going <laughs> to go in your house and take your thing. Um, just so, so it'll be me. Um, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, yeah. But yeah, anyways. But while you're gone, yeah, I don't. We got to see what we're going to do. I do know that Tracy Sandler, 49ers fangirl herself, is going to um, be a guest host for one of the shows. Um, she's probably awesome. after week one. She is, and I'm really yeah, excited to awesome. have her on. Um, and she's gonna be she's gonna be great to talk with. I, I can't I can't wait to do a show with her. It's gonna be great. Mm-hmm. Another show. I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna figure it out. We gotta see who the guest is and if I'm gonna do a, a co-host or if I'm gonna fly solo or what I'm gonna do. But we'll see what it's all about. But definitely, Zane, we're looking forward to having you back in week two. Um, 
Yeah, try to tweet out, man, while you're gone. I will. I will. I'll tweet. I'll tweet out where I'm gone, but I. But it'll be from a top secret location. Top secret. We so don't know where coming. Yeah. Coming to a town near you, maybe. <laughs> covert, covert operations. Never know what you're doing. Covert operations. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Zane. Well, if I don't talk to you, in, enjoy your vacation. Um, and hopefully, when you're not on the show, the next time the Niners have a couple wins under their belt. So we'll see. So thank you to everyone again for Zane Nakvi. I'm Al Sacco. We'll talk to you soon. Peace.